first time I really heard love talked about explicitly was with with Nort's team, Dan Norton with the England Sevens team and a couple of players, Tom Mitchell, Alex Davis, who we were defining some values in the mindset they wanted to have and what they wanted to stand for. And they kept going back to love and there was these notes were like, can we use the word? Like values should be like honesty and integrity and all these good sounding things. And they they went forward with love and you know, love for each other, for the struggle, for the growth, for the game, for the opportunity to inspire others. I haven't heard it so much yet in business. And there's a couple of organizations I've worked with over a number of years now. And I think that they're in a, you know, they're still still finding their way with it. Um, but perhaps perhaps in a few years time, it will be something that we can embrace more and more. Yo, Ryan Hartley here, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. Welcome to the interview sessions, where I put my curious questions to inspiring people. This is the first time that you've pushed play. Welcome to our community. We span 114 countries around the world, And we're like-hearted in the belief that when we get better, everything and everyone around us gets better. We also believe that love is that transformational force. When we become someone that we love, when we do more of what we love, and when we serve those that we love, being better than yesterday is the inevitable result. These interview sessions are brought to you by our great friends at Web Creation. Head to webcreationgroup.com for stunning websites at sensible prices. Today, on episode 146, I am joined by Katie Mobed. Katie is one of the UK's leading performance psychologists. She works with um, business leaders. She works with some of the world's best athletes. I absolutely love the, the work that Katie does in the world. She has been supporting team gb in helping athletes prepare for the olympics as well as the england rugby sevens and bath rugby my local uh, rugby team where i am based here in in wiltshire it's an incredible conversation i absolutely love the work that katie does in the world as i've just said and i hope that there's something in the next 40 minutes that you hear will really resonate with you, will really expand your heart and your mind in some way and just encourage you to show up as the best version of you today. Here we go, episode 146 with performance psychologist Katie Mobed. Enjoy, my friends. Katie, welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. How are you, my friend? Very good, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's so good to see you. Um, we were just chatting off air. I, I first came across you when you signed with with Bath Rugby, and I, I was still working at the police back in the, those days. And um, I was like, "That is like my dream job." Like, how <laughs> cool is that? Tell us some about the great work that you do in the world. Yeah, thank you. I do. I have to admit, I do feel so so fortunate to. Mm-hmm have have the roles that I have and effectively I've just I guess found a way to earn a living through what I really care about anyway which is connecting with people supporting the pursuit of their dreams and their goals um mm. trying to make the most of this one crazy life that we all have um so yeah it's just it, it's 
every day is so different. Sometimes I might be working with an elite sport group. Other days I might be working with a group of long-term unemployed, essentially you know, it's people with um, the kind of challenges we face and what it is to be human in this mm. on this planet. Um, so yeah, very, very varied work, but I love and am always learning as I go. Aren't we all? Yeah, I love that. And so you work with elites, sports people, Olympians, rugby players, businesses, schools, and I guess what it all is connected by is is people. And, and I love that. But you talked about helping people with their hopes and dreams. I understand you once had a hope and a dream to compete at an Olympics. How did that, how's that kind of fueled where you are right now? Yeah, it's something I've, I've had a lot of reflection on over the years and a lot of kind of mentoring over as well. So I used to be an artistic gymnast. Um, I was absolutely passionate about it. I trained 30, 35 hours a week at the age of 12. Mm, you know, wow. it was completely um, the sole focus of my life. And I kind of lost my passion with it. I hit a few roadblocks with injuries. I had a really difficult relationship with my coach and I ended up falling out of love with the sport and just mm. felt a deep sort of sense of kind of grief I guess now is what I would look back at it and I was only 16 17 at the time but I definitely had a real conviction that I wanted to try and help other people not have those sorts of regrets but to make the most of their opportunities to to put it all out there um, and to give everything to to follow what's in their heart and uh, I used to think when I was when I was a young practitioner first starting out in Olympic sport I used to think that the way to make a difference with athletes would have been to have achieved great things as, as a sports person myself and be able to share that with others but I now realize the kind of brilliant naivety of that, that there is no one way to success. There is no mm. one path to that gold medal or that premiership title. You've got to work with that individual, sit alongside them, find out what makes them tick and find out what their path is. So mm. I, I'm almost glad, almost glad that I didn't have that sort of dream scenario because I think I wouldn't have learned so much um, yeah. if, if it hadn't gone differently or it had gone differently. It's funny, isn't it? Because like um, you've almost found purpose in the pain. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Somebody um, I used to work with used to call it sort of a wounded storyteller. It's like from, but from your wounds is where that's the part where the light gets in, and that's the part mm-hmm. where healing occurs, and that's the part ultimately where wisdom comes from. So I think to know what it is to suffer, to know what it is to have lost a dream, to have felt so deeply kind of heartbroken by something at the time, mm-hmm. is then the point of connection and the point of being very genuine in in what you do going forward and appreciating all those moments. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. And you used the word grief and, you know, I guess being 16, that was, that was, that was your life. And I guess so much visualization around how we think it might go, how we hope it might go. I, I too had to grieve when I left policing. It was my decision to leave, but there were some circumstances beyond my control that I had to let go. And, and I was a, a control freak. Like <laughs> I was like, if I could make it happen, I'll make it happen. And I, and life taught me all about, kind of surrender and and trying to find flow and I guess you know in your work like you talk about this deep belief in human potential what gives you that belief where does that hope and belief come from I think um the the language around that came from I was so lucky my first job out of university was at a company called Lane 4 which is a consultancy at, at the time was set up by Adrian Morehouse it was called Lane 4 because that was the lane that he won Olympic gold from in the 88 Olympics. Um, The lane that's most likely to produce a champion as the fastest qualifier. And Lane 4 was all about applying the principles of sports psychology into business, um, which is a really, really fascinating place to to be supported and developed and coached. Um, And there they just really, really challenged you to believe in 
but in, in what's possible. And so to, almost to recognize that you never really know, like, whereas with the body, there are potentially, I'm not sure you'd have to ask experts in the field, but there are limits to where we think the body can go, at least with mm -hmm. our current knowledge. Mm -hmm. But with it, when it comes to the mind, nobody knows. Nobody knows what that, those limits are. Maybe there aren't any. And so then your potential, I'm not saying that like you can, you can fly or like, you know, I'm not completely kind of do laddie, although not far off it, some might say. Um, but in terms of your potential to grow and improve and learn and discover new things and appreciate this life, um, mm. that's infinite. And that, that's a really amazing proposition for us. Mm. I saw um, Dan Norton. He uh, he's obviously given you a, a lovely testimonial. Dan Norton is um, one of the best sevens rugby player this this yeah. country has ever produced, and and he said that you helped him develop a process to help him perform at his best and and when it really matters. And and I guess we all you know in all walks of our life we want to be at our best. We want to perform when pressure hits and it all really matters. Like. So, but life seems chaotic. How do you how do you support people with processes? How do we systemize that? Where do we start? I guess. Yeah, it's nice to think about noughts as well. Dan is he's, he's a all time um, world leading try scorer in the sport yeah. of rugby sevens and just the most phenomenal human being. He's completely crazy, like <laughs> the best people in life. Um, works so hard, such strong values. And he taught me a lot actually as well. We worked together for six years or so um, leading up to the Rio Olympics and then Tokyo. Um, I think every, it's different for everyone, isn't it? But I, uh, there are some things that are quite standardized in how I've learned to work over the years. And I feel really strongly about initial grounding for people in how the brain works. You, you take your brain with you everywhere, you know, for an athlete into the gym, into analysis meetings, of course, into competition, into training. So to try and understand as best we can how it works, how to get the best out of it, why we have worries and doubts, the fact that everybody has those worries and doubts. The goal isn't to think perfectly, to, to be supremely robustly confident in all scenarios, because as mm. far as I know, that's not possible. So it's more to embrace that vulnerability of what it is to be human. And the minute you go towards your dreams and big goals, you are going to be nervous. And how mm. do we actually channel that and see that as energy and unhook from the kinds of thoughts that a player like Nortz might have in the tunnel of what if this goes wrong? What if I can't do this? What if I pick up an injury? All those sorts of natural worries. That's your brain trying to protect yourself. And that's how it's evolved. And there's lots of great thinking and visuals around that nowadays. So learning how your brain works, I just feel like it's like a core. And that's, and that's why I've, I've started with a, a good friend and colleague, Jenna, started to develop courses for school children because I just so many times athletes said to me, I wish I'd learned this stuff earlier. And once you have a bit of insight into that brain and you might have a hundred thousand thoughts a day and mm. you know, how many of those are helpful, how many of those are really you. So I think for people to get that grounding is just so key. And then from there, I think there's just some simple steps and um, really like, it's not, it's not, I don't think of it so much as deep expertise, but just sitting alongside someone and really understanding what their world is like mm. and what their, what their goals are and what gets in the way for them. And then working with them to find their strategies rather than telling them stuff. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm trying as much as possible not to tell people what to do because I mean, I don't know what it's like to, to be that person in those mm. scenarios. So quite a, from an initial point of neuroscience and, and bringing some expertise then to more of a coaching approach and let's figure this out together. And that's, mm. A lot of fun, especially with someone like Norts. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love that. And you said neuroscience and coaching, but you also said the word energy. And you know, and I think you know, there's there's a lot more talk around quantum physics and the the role of energy coming through. Like, 
And I know that Andy Puddicum, he he describes you as one of the most innovative kind of sports psychologists out there. Like, where, where's your kind of take on energy? How does that show up in the way that you work with people? I love the the idea. Um, the, a good friend of mine, again, who I've learned a lot from over the years called James Glover. And uh, he used to work for a company called The Energy Project. And one of the things they they taught and really believed in was that your energy is infinite. It can be renewed. Your time is limited. Um, you've only got 168 hours in the week and everyone's the same and you can learn to make more of that time. But you know, your energy, you can learn to renew by taking care of yourself around what you're focusing on, how you're building your emotional energy. So they would talk about these sort of different quadrants. So you've got sort of physical around, of course, exercise, nutrition, sleep. Mm-hmm. I mean, the degree to which when we don't sleep well, our brains underperform and become so much more negative. You know, we can drop 15 IQ points off the back of continued lack of sleep. That's the difference between a really smart person and a bit of plonker, <laughs> which I can be on any given day. Um, yeah, so yeah, physical component to how you take care of your energy, then the emotional one around cultivating emotions such as gratitude, joy, compassion, mm. ability to be present in your focus. And then the sort of spiritual side of it of, ultimately like what is it that you care about that's beyond yourself and Mm -hmm. and what's that bigger cause that you want to dedicate yourself to because the energy that comes from that sense of purpose it blows my mind I mean Mm -hmm. I sometimes look back at periods of my of my life and my work where I've worked Mm -hmm. incredibly hard but it didn't feel hard because it was so purposeful um I can't Mm -hmm. get that all the time but more than more than we think perhaps I love that and uh, you know I think um Carol Dweck's book um mindset has is, is, is been you know, revolutionary it's very popular lots of people call themselves mindset coaches but mm-hmm. a lot of what you've just said love energy compassion for me I term that heart set mm. and I would love nothing more than to see the next 10 years that we talk about heart set putting the heart first because when you said as you're younger like your love for it and then you fell out of love for it. Yeah. yeah. Like how, how much does love show up in, in the work that you do across many industries, across business and across, because love isn't usually a word that business leaders would be comfortable to you. No. I mean, I am, I put it on my sleeve. Uh, shirt, yeah, I love but, that. <laughs> but, you know, how, do, how does love come into the way that you work with people? Increasingly. Mm. I think I always felt it, but was a bit scared to label it because you worry that people will sort of, especially as a female working predominantly in male environments, be they business or sport, it's something that you're mindful of. Um, But I love the the concept of the word courage, as far as I've understood it, it comes, the origins come from, Uh. yeah, to heart, to, to speak your truth from your heart and like what what are we here for (laughs) what what are we actually on this planet for if there were some aliens from outer space looking in on human the human species they would think why are they stressing out so much about xyz and not appreciating that moment right there or you know chasing goals that they think they should achieve and actually they when they get there they just feel a sense of mild relief and then it's Mm -hmm. on to the next thing and Mm -hmm. you know just actually stop and think about what is in your heart and and i'm really moved by you know that that um the work by bonnie Ware, the top five regrets the dying and she talked i think um, the first one was, I wish I'd had the courage to live the life I wanted to live rather than mm, what I thought was expected. Tragic. Uh, it's tragic, then, isn't it? The first time I really heard love talked about explicitly was with, with Norton's team, Dan Norton with the England Sevens team and a couple of players, Tom Mitchell, Alex Davis, who we were defining some values and the mindset they wanted to have and what they wanted to stand for. 
And they kept going back to love. And there was these notes were like, can we use that word? Like values should be like honesty and integrity and all these (laughs) good sounding things. And they they went forward with love and love for each other, for the struggle, for the growth, for the game, for the opportunity to inspire others. I haven't heard it so much yet in business. And there's a couple of organizations I've worked with over a number of years now. And I think that they're in a, you know, they're still still finding their way with it. Um, but perhaps perhaps in a few years' time it will be something that we can embrace more and more. I find myself saying, yeah, like, yeah, lots of love and I love you lots. And like, yeah, you know, and it's love exists in many different types, doesn't it? I remember when I was at uni learning about the different kind of the different types. I couldn't remember them quite now, but somebody else might. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I had uh, Dr. Gary Chapman on who wrote the five love languages. And so yeah. he talked. So he talked. I really about, want to read that book. It's incredible. Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to speak with Dr. Gary back in January. And, you know, yeah. it's uh, words of affirmation or it's acts of service or it's physical touch or um, yeah. gifts and, and the like. So, yeah. And so I was listening very closely because, like, love is a verb for me. Love isn't necessarily just a feeling, it's a verb. And I'm thinking values are also yeah. verbs. And the way that you've just described and articulated what love meant to that team, your love for the struggle, like, that's so powerful. I, I just don't think enough teams out there are open and explicit about what do we want to stand for? Is that, mm-hmm. is that your experience? Not so much the ones I've had the privilege of working with, probably right. because I'm obsessed with talking about it with them. Yeah. And, you know, I think so many people have done, I mean, yeah, and at Bath, like so many people have done values. Mm. Uh, it's really hard to do values in a way that makes a difference. It's really easy to sit in a room and go, oh, what should we stand for? Pick out some words and then go, right, tick the box. Mm-hmm. And then six months later, no one can remember it. And there's loads of cynicism that's growing through it. And, and it's almost counterproductive it. to label something that you don't live. Yeah, and, and and that concept as well that for me of like that values like I love the way you describe there as a verb. It's it's an action. It's 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 a choice and a skill. So um, when I was a, when I was working with um, GB Hockey, their men's team there, one of the values they defined was second family, which I was really strong um, in the way they went about their business. But then to really unpick that, like actually, a family is not universally a positive concept for some people. Some people have had really difficult upbringings, and family is is not a point of. So when we use that language, what do we really mean by it? And to actually take the time to unpick that and put it into different scenarios and think about how we could bring it to life through our actions and how are we going to behave when people come short of it or when we miss an opportunity to celebrate it or live to it. And there's so much depth in that. Over the course of my career, initially, I thought, you know, as a sports psychologist, I'm going to be helping people deal with pressure and (laughs) all those moments, which of course is part of the role. But if you get the culture right, then a lot of that stuff takes care of itself because the beauty of a team then is that they then help each other grow and they challenge and support each other towards performance rather than trying to do it yourself. Uh, And I think you've just exactly articulated the question I was going to ask, which is, aren't they just uh, supposed to go out there and be really good hockey players? You know, (laughs) for for anyone that's listening that thinks, oh, we just got to be good at our jobs. You just got to hire the best people and be good at... And I think what we're hearing loud and clear is the best will will do this. And I guess, is there anything that um, you think um, the, the real power of doing that? What is the real power of, of being united around this sense of who we are and what we stand for? The bit for me is that yeah, we we are we're sort of you know we're sociable animals even the introverts among us my husband's a deep deep introvert he's like one of those people that when you ring someone and they don't pick up he's like yes <laughs> you know he's very very introverted but even so for all of us we are sociable animals and we, we have evolved to live in a tribe 
And you can't connect with others and belong unless you show up authentically as yourself. Otherwise, I'm just trying to fit in. So I've got to be, I've got to belong to myself first. I've got to be true to myself and know what I stand for. Then I can show up authentically. And through that authenticity, I can connect with others. And through that connection, I grow the courage to do difficult things, mm. to challenge myself, to bounce back from setbacks, to stretch myself beyond what perhaps my mind is telling me is possible. So it's only through that connection and that shared sort of like that shared mission, that shared sense of togetherness that I can really achieve great things. Mm. So, it, you know, sometimes this stuff and I understand why is sort of thought of as the soft stuff. But actually, mm. as those of us that know have tried it. It's so so hard, yeah. uh, and and will lead to to great pl- great places, but not many people are willing to really do what it takes. Mm. Mm. Yeah. In the arena, yeah, I love that. And um, talking of the in the arena, you know, Wembley Stadium this summer was full of ninety thousand people there for the you know Euros final. What extreme pressure those young men were put under, like. You know, how do you prepare people for those moments? You know, not everybody, even in their careers, every four years, if they're lucky enough to get to a final, they got to step up and take a penalty. Like, how do you, how do you help a human being in, in that abnormal situation? Mm, I, I watched the game and I, I was, yeah, my husband used to work with that team and yeah, I don't know many of them or any of them really personally. Um, I've had the fortune of co-authoring a book with Marcus Rashford, but not working on his psychology or anything like that. So I'm mindful not to speak about them specifically, but certainly the you know to the question you're asking, mm-hmm. like we could be here for hours. I'll try <laughs> try and be as succinct as I can. I think for me it starts with developing a strong sense of self. Nothing to do with sports, nothing to do with you as a footballer or a rugby player, a runner, or whatever. But knowing who you are in the world. Um, there's that cool runnings quote that people love talking about now, which is brilliant, that um, if you're not enough without a medal, you'll never be enough with one. So mm. once you've built that stronger sense of self of who you are in the world and, and kind of what you're proud of within yourself, you, then you find what I've seen athletes then have the freedom to commit to those moments because you're, you're putting everything on the line, but you know not everything is really on the line. That X, Y, Z will still be good whether whether I get this penalty or not, whether we win this trophy or not. I'm 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 okay. The future is bright, and and I really want this, but it's not a matter of life and death. And actually, like once it becomes mm. so life and death, we tend to inhibit our performance, and we, we then either make rash decisions or we're, we're too inhibited to commit to what needs to happen to to win. So ironically, and this is what often like it's kind of a it's a tricky sell, particularly with you know quite. alpha male groups of like actually if you want to win we need to stop talking about winning and start talking about you and get you in good shape so that then you've got the courage to commit everything and then there's some more tactical stuff around just thinking through what are the likely worries and thoughts and doubts Mm. um how am I going to meet them how am I going to respond to them not getting caught up worrying with them but knowing that I'm going to commit to my actions I think increasingly trying to position confidence as a behavior it's not, it doesn't have to be a feeling. We're not really in control of our feelings, but we can be in greater control of our behavior. Mm. So what does my process look like in that moment? Um, I read about the, there was some really clever analysis going on about the, the time taken for those penalties and how much longer they were than normal. So you can, you know, there's, it's almost trying too hard because they mm. cared so much about getting that result. Um, it's really interesting to, to try and unpick it, but it's, I'm so, such a believer that you can absolutely prepare for those moments and, it's not rocket science but again it's it's it just takes commitment and consistency not you can't just unpick years worth of mental programming in a couple of weeks before a big game yeah 
Uh, this is a fascinating conversation and uh, I'll come back to the you are a champion contribution in a minute if that's okay but I saw I think it was Ian Mitchell he was um, with the FA he was taking some players through some meditation exercises mm. you just would never you see the like <laughs> you imagine the likes of Gaza sat around it just it just wouldn't have happened it's such so progressive and, and it, I, I yeah. love it it's really good to see yeah. And I, you know, I, I'm probably a bit like you. I sit and I watch and I listen to every word Gareth Southgate will say. Oh. I pick up on the tone of just the nature and his leadership. Yeah. But what a human being! Incredible, right? And so I, I'm, I'm, I know that you've done work with with Andy Puddicombe over at Headspace. What role does Headspace play in in uh, high performance? And and yeah. and how might business leaders embrace uh, meditation and Headspace? Yeah, there's a there's a leadership group that I work with, um, a, a business just based in London, and we start we 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 have what we call leadership rumbles from Brene Brown's work. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of each leadership rumble, we do a, a 90 second meditation, literally just 90 seconds, something guided. Um, we all take it in turns. I kind of started it off and took a bit of a risk, and to my surprise and joy, they loved it. You know, they, you had courage. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I just think whether well, we know that the science from meditation yeah. or, or being mindful um, is that the part of our brain that allows us to think more logically, um, think clearly under pressure, then get stronger and expands the part that is emotionally reactive and can make us be a bit stupid from time to time, uh, actually shrinks. So brain scanning um, images mm. show us tangible differences. Um, but I think just the the kind of the being at more at peace with your thoughts and rather than your traditional psychology was all about trying to change your thoughts to become more positive or more confidence enhancing or you know think like a winner. <laughs> it's just not a thing. Like is that more how you respond to those thoughts that's going to make the difference? Um, so I think um, mindfulness definitely and meditation is definitely growing more and more in businesses. A number of um, companies I've seen now subscribing to Headspace and making it really palatable, so bite sized now. Mm. Um, it could, yeah it's powerful I just I love the notion of it not just as a as a practice but as an attitude to life mm-hmm. if you look if you break it down into those concepts of like non-judgment just meeting things as they are with curiosity with mm-hmm. some compassion um it's so hard to think of where that can't help you in life and in business my um my son and I have done many of the kids uh, headspace we've mm-hmm. I've been a follower and a user of headspace for about four five 2017 I think is the first time mm-hmm. I pushed play and it's been a great great resource and uh, i've encouraged many many people to use it i uh, i was fortunate enough to have the ceo of HeartMath institute on a, a few oh, months yeah. ago and um you know i think what she says Same. is that when we come into that space of meditation we connect to our hearts and our hearts send out a, a signal to basically tell our brain to chill out you're okay you're yeah. safe yeah 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 <laughs> and and then i guess the result of that is a is a leadership that is more kind loving compassionate and more one rather than self-serving and uh, protective yeah 100 percent. heart math's interesting i trained with them a few years ago and actually when i was unpacking so i just mentioned to you that we just moved house i found them with the you know the little ear mm, sensors that, yeah yeah it's good that's a good reminder yeah it's fascinating i love the stuff mm-hmm. um so let's come back to you are a champion. I get, uh, you know, this is this is legacy stuff. This is next generation. What do you hope um, books like you are a champion will equip the next generation with? Oh, what a question! Mm. Um, yeah, and it's a, it was a huge honour, quite surreal to be asked to contribute to the book. Um, I think the values that that Marcus Rashford lives mm. by, yeah, mm. deeply inspiring to me, and very much aligned with my own. Um, 
the platform he has and the way he takes responsibility for that i mean it's just it, there's almost no words yeah. um so with the book i mean I think we're realistic that I, uh, some people will say a book can change your life i'm not sure but i believe in little nudges so that we can nudge people in that right direction yeah. um just for me attitude is is everything that attitude is you know and if you can learn the skill of attitude of how to embrace challenges how to speak to yourself how to not assume confidence is just a given but it's something i'm going to work on mm. um what what attitude do i want to have to failure like it is life that's life-changing if we can help young people dare to dream in those ways so sketching out what the chapters might be you know we had initially had a list of like 25 and had to had to break it down as you can imagine and then connecting into some of the stories from marcus's life and carl mm. anker and the journalist who worked with marcus to to bring those stories to life was yeah, it was a really amazing process. So above all, I think we just we the you know all of us and Macmillan um, alongside, of course, just really really hope that young people and older people, because I've actually had a lot of contact from business leaders, from head yeah. teachers, from well, adults saying like, this is not just a book for kids. This is this, this is for human beings. Anybody yeah. with with a heart and a head, <laughs> all of 100%, us. Hundred percent. Um, and sometimes it's more accessible, isn't it, when it's just simplified? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I think like I do, I do um, sounds a bit morbid, but I, I think about death quite a lot. And I think about it. We take life for granted. I think yeah. when we assume that we're just going to kind of live forever, it's so easy to put off the things that you really dream of or hope for. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you can almost live with that sort of sobering but inspiring sense that this, you, this time is finite. So this day matters, this moment matters. Um, the perspective that gives you and, and hopefully the book will encourage mm. a few young people along those lines um, whatever their dream might be it's not a book about sports just a book about life and being human mm. that's powerful thank you so much for your time I'm really conscious of your time on a Friday afternoon really great joined <laughs> us how can our audience connect with you how can they find out more about you um, yeah, I've actually, I've gone like 10 years of my career never having a website, but now I've got two. <laughs> so for some of the sort of more private work that I do, um, it's at um, theprimeclinic.co.uk. Um, and then the more schools and, and sports psychology stuff is on moonshotseries.co.uk. Um, I always forget what my Twitter and Instagram is. I'll share it all in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. uh, what does the phrase always better than yesterday inspire in you? I was thinking about this and obviously with you know with the the title of your podcast because my initial reaction was I'm not sure because I don't think I don't think we need to always be better than yesterday I think we just need to be real and show up with what's real but then um I was speaking to a good friend of mine this morning who is also basically my line manager in Olympic sports um Liz Boycott Brown and we were talking about it and it reminded me of you know that there's a visual somebody drew it somebody clever drew it where you've got like um when you look in the short term, you can see maybe mm. it's like a bit up and down like this. But if you zoom out, mm. it's up and down. But in the in the trajectory of, of forward momentum, which I think is perhaps what you know what the spirit of your of your title is there. So to me, always better than yesterday is to zoom out, see the bigger picture. Always better than yesterday in terms of growing, in terms of your intention and your effort, your attitude, the mm. things you can control, being real. You know, not necessarily in terms of like a relentless. Yeah, there is no relentless pursuit of improvement every moment of the day. That's burnout. Um, yeah. So yeah, that that zooming out, zoom out perspective, I think was, was where I, my head went to. I love it when people come on and go, oh, I'm not really sure. I'm not really <laughs> sure why we, because my wife says the same thing. My wife's like, oh, like, why do I have to be better? Can I not can yeah, I, just be? <laughs> why can I just be? And, and, and for me, it was a way in, a, in my early days, my mindset days, 
it was a way of articulating to the world that I was a lifelong learner, that yeah. I would, doesn't matter what failures have gone in the past, today was a new opportunity to show up. But the more and more I've learned about the impact of love in leadership, I've come to realize that being better than yesterday isn't a requirement, it is the result. It is the oh, result nice. of doing more of what you love. It is the result of using your gifts and talents to yeah. lift others up. And um, for, for example, these conversations, I can't help but be better for having these amazing conversations with, with good people like you. So yeah, just to anyone listening to, to reassure people, you don't have to be better than yesterday every single day. But if you do what you love, that will naturally be the result. I love that. It's brilliant. <laughs> I'm glad that you challenged that. I like I like because <laughs> it would be easy to come on and go, oh, that's so yeah. <laughs> you know, I like the real answer. Um, I'd be honored and privileged if you'd leave us with a final thought from your good self. Mm. Take this moment now. Like whatever that, whatever that means to you. Mm. Take this moment now to be good to yourself, to be kind to yourself or kind to another or notice something imperfect and find some beauty in it like it's it's here mm. right now I love that. there. <laughs> thank you so much for your time my friend thank you for having me all the best <laughs> there we go episode 146 with katie mobed as i like to do at the end of all the interview sessions just reflect on some things that really capture my heart capture my mind and i'd love to keep this a two-way conversation make sure you let me know what has really resonated with you screenshot us uh, tag us share it on social email me if you like it's in the, in the show notes but for me i just love katie's deep belief in human potential i think that is something that as as leaders we should all take to our heart and mind is that if we can come to the world with a deep belief in in human potential and, and more specifically the people that are in front of us and around us if we can have a deep belief in the potential of the people in front of us we will do one of two things one is we will encourage and challenge the people in front of us to bring that out of them and secondly is we can take part responsibility in being someone that is able to uh, bring people into their potential. I think as a leader, once we start to develop a servant's heart, we see our responsibility is to serve the potential in people. Um, so we become partners in, the, in their growth and their development. And as we become the greenhouse and creating the environment with which people can grow, we become partners in their potential, realizing their potential. And that's, that's the thing I love about being a coach. So that's the thing for me about what Katie said, some incredible things, uh, tricky to pick out my favorite, but that, that is it. I think that is the core of all great leaders and the core of all great coaches and psychologists is when we have that deep belief in human potential, we take the necessary action to, to help that be made manifest in the world. I'd love to know what has really stood out and inspired you. Thank you for making it to the end of the podcast. This was episode 146. There are 145 previous guests um, that will absolutely expand your heart and mind too. Go and check them out. If you'd like to um, ask me any questions about any guests in particular, 
particular theme, particular topic, adversity, overcoming, uh, world champions, TEDx speakers, authors, uh, whatever it may be. If, if there's something that you're seeking, I will try and connect you with an inspiring human being from our community. Until next time, my friends, thank you for listening. Always love.